Love in general, whether it's love for a family member, for a friend, maybe it is romantic, but there is something in us in, in which love just bubbles out and we desire to communicate that to the people uh, we love. Um, Gary Chapman wrote a book uh, many years ago now called The Five Love Languages, and it just kind of goes through how, how we express love uh, one to another. Um, and, and these are um, some of the examples that uh, I think we're on the wrong show there. Hold on. There we go. All right. So uh, some of the ways that we might express love to one another. And so one is um, words of affirmation. And so uh, that's just telling people, man, I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, maybe you know someone and that's kind of their love language. Like they're just really good uh, at verbally communicating uh, to others how important they are and special they are. So it could be words of affirmation. Um, it could be physical touch. Um, sometimes just a hug, right? Sometimes just a hug. Do, do you know anyone in your life who's a bit of a hugger, right? Like they, they communicate love um, through maybe a, a hug. By the way, Snoopy looks like he would give an amazing hug. Amen? He does. Um, Charlie Brown's enjoying that. Um, so it, it, could be, um, it could be words of affirmation. It could be physical touch. It could be what Gary Chapman calls acts of service, um, doing something to show uh, love. So uh, that, my wife Christy, that is, that's her love language. And so the best, the, the most romantic thing I can do in our house is to take out the rubbish bins without her asking. Like that is just like, oh, he loves me. And so um, it could be doing things for others, acts of service. Another one is, is gifts. And so it could be that, that someone likes to express their love by giving something to others. Um, it could be something they've made. It could be flowers, what, what, whatever it might be, but gift giving um, and then, and then he talks about quality time. It could just be spending time with one another, not even quantity, but just quality, just being together. Now, a- as we come to the book of Philippians, uh, what we're going to find is is that Paul absolutely loves the church at Philippi. Uh, this was uh, several years ago now. Um, when we go back to America, we have to go back for six months every couple of years for visa stuff. And we usually stay with Christy's mom and dad. And And um, we sold pretty much everything we have to, to move to England. And what we have left fits in their attic. So there's not a lot. And we were cleaning out the attic, moving some things. And I found a box in their attic. And it's a shoe box. And it had duct tape ducked over it so you couldn't get the top off of the box. It was all taped up, and then in big print on a piece of paper, in all capital letters, it said, do not open, and it was in my handwriting, and so I took the box, and what do you think I immediately did? I opened it. Praise the Lord, it wasn't a bomb. I opened it. I thought, what What was going through my mind that I like, what is in here, you know? And so I opened it up. And there, there are all these folded up pieces of paper. And I thought, what is this? And so I pulled the first one out. And I realized when Christy and I uh, were dating, uh, we lived about, uh, I had moved away and we lived about three and a half hours apart. And um, believe it or not, we, we were dating before the internet existed. And so um, 
uh, these were letters that she had written to me when I was away. Dare I say love letters? Max, close your ears for a minute. And so um, I had saved every one of them. And so we've been married 30 years, and I had saved all these letters. And so I made it through about two of them. And I was like, oh, yeah, now I see. So I taped it back up. And I put, do not, you know, and I, and I put it back. But, but, man, we just, these letters. Well, what we have here in the book of Philippians, I want you to think of it as like a love letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. It's the only letter where there is no rebuke. So when he writes to Ephesus or Colossae or Thessalonica, there's always kind of a rebuke. There's no rebuke. The word joy is here about 19 times. I mean, this is a love letter from Paul to this group of people. And Paul wants to let them know how much he loves them. And he wants to let them know how he's going to express that. Is he going to give them words of affirmation? He can't give them a hug because he's in prison. He can't do um, acts of service because he's locked up. He can't spend time with them. He can't do anything up here except the words of affirmation. That's it. And so how is he going to express love to them from a distance? All right. And so I want to invite you to uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin verse 3. Uh, if you want to use the Bible there on the table, it's page 1178. Page 1178 there on, uh, on, your, uh, on your table. All right. And we're going to um, spend just a few moments uh, talking about uh, intercessory prayer. Um, because what we're going to find is this is Paul's primary means of expressing his love for the church is through praying for them. And what, what I'm praying for us and what I'm hoping is, is that this is going to reframe for us how we view prayer. Um, I've sat through a lot of uh, sermons on prayer and I always just kind of cringe because I know I'm probably going to leave feeling a bit guilty and feeling a bit burdened and feeling a bit like not good enough. Um, and, and my prayer is that we don't feel any of that today in the flesh. But what I hope is that we'll see prayer like a hug, like a gift, like a love letter, that, that we'll be motivated to pray for one another, not out of a sense of duty or a sense of guilt, but that we'll be motivated to pray for one another because it's a way we want to show love to one another. And this is what Paul does. And so we're in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 3. We're looking at uh, intercessory prayer, and this is... Uh, This is what Paul writes. Thank you, Sam. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Doesn't it sound like a love letter, right? I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's stop there. Look at these words. You're in my heart. There's affection. There's joy. I'm constantly remembering you. It, it, is, it is all the hallmarks of a beautiful love letter. And so now he, he comes to this point like, so I love you and this is how I want to show you that I love you. This is verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more 
and knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this beautiful example we have here in Philippians of how we can express love for one another, love for those in our community, love for our families. And Lord, we just pray in these next few moments that you would just speak to us through your word by your spirit, and that, Lord, you might give us a renewed understanding of prayer and a a renewed commitment, but, but not out of a sense of guilt or do more or do better, but simply like a hug or like a kind word, that we would understand prayer to be the ultimate expression of our love for one another. Speak now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to spend just a few moments just going verse by verse, looking at um, how we can express our love for one another through intercessory prayer. Now, here's a simple definition. There, There are different types of prayer in the New Testament. In fact, Um, In the Greek, our New Testament would have been written in Greek. There's actually more than one word for prayer. But in English, we just use that one word. And so here, when you see the word prayer, it means intercessory prayer. It's a specific kind of prayer. And here's a simple definition. Intercessory prayer is a believing, persevering prayer whereby someone speaks with God on behalf of someone else. All right, take a look at that. A believing, persevering prayer whereby someone speaks with God on behalf of someone else. And so let's start at the end and work our way forward. Intercessory prayer is me talking to God about someone else. All right? It's me speaking to God about someone else. And so um, let's say Dan. Um, And so if I'm praying for Dan, intercessory prayer is is where I'm just going to spend time with the Lord. I'm not going to ask for anything for myself. I'm not going to really talk about myself, but I'm just coming to the Lord to talk about Dan, right? Um, And and, and just say, Lord, I just want to bring Dan before you, right? So I'm doing it on behalf of someone else, and then I do it with belief and perseverance, it means that what I'm asking for Dan, I'm, I'm believing God to do, right? I'm believing God like, like Lord, I'm coming before you and, and, and Dan, he's getting close to the end of his school and Lord, would you just bless him and help him? And, and so I'm believing that the Lord can do all these things I'm asking for, right? He can do all of these things. But then it's a persevering prayer. Uh, Jesus talks about in the Gospel of Matthew about ask, seek, and knock. And he says, don't stop asking don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. You, you just keep knocking on the door of heaven until someone answers. The idea is it's not just a one-off prayer, but, but I, I'm in a rhythm, in a pattern of, of bringing Dan before the Lord in prayer. That is what intercessory prayer is. Now, um, uh, what do we say to the Lord? What am I going to say about Dan? Like, I, I just feel like the Lord's telling me, pray for Dan what do I pray? What do we pray for our kids? Like, what, what, what do Ben and Hillary pray for Reuben? Like, what, what do we pray for one another here in the church? 
And so um, I, th- I think Paul just gives us a really nice, simple, four-point kind of outline of how we can pray for one another. Um, and, uh, and here we go. We'll just see these. And so I really want to encourage you to write these down, to take notes, um, uh, because it, it, it'll just help you remember. And, and this is definitely a, we want to put into action uh, what we see Paul do. All right, so number one. Like Paul, I can pray for others to grow in their love for Jesus. Like Paul, I can pray for others to grow in their love for Jesus. Paul writes this in verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. Paul says, look, the first thing I'm praying for you is that you will love Jesus more and more. Uh, My prayer for myself is that I'll love Jesus more today than I did yesterday. That's not always the case, if I'm being honest, right? Uh, But but what what a prayer, like, Lord, help me love you more and more. It's not like there's this this level that I reach and then that's it. Like, no, I want to grow in my love for you more and more. Uh, in, in the Greek, the word abound here means to grow in excess, right? To grow in excess. In other words, uh, to, the picture would be uh, spilling over. And so I have my cup of water here. If, if I go and I put it under the tap and I turn it on, if I just leave the cup, eventually what will happen to the water? It'll overflow, won't it? It'll overflow. That's what this word means that my love would just spill out. It'll just overflow. And this overflow of my love, and and this is sweet, it'll be in quantity, but also quality. It'll be in quantity and quality. Uh, By the way, have you ever been around someone who loves Jesus in that way? Uh, Who loves Jesus in a way that it just just pours out? I I can remember I, I became a believer at the age of 17, and, uh, and one of the first men that God placed in my life, oddly enough, his, his name was Mr. Sinner, which I always thought was kind of ironic. And, uh, and uh, he was in his 70s. So he's like 77, and I'm 17. And, and I come to faith, and, uh, and, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know any men who loved Jesus. And this 77-year-old man begins to disciple me, begins to pour in my life, and and, and there was something about him where the love of Jesus bubbled out of his life. It didn't matter if you were at a restaurant or if you were in church. Like his love for Jesus just poured out and it just landed on everyone around him. And it was beautiful. Uh, he was the kind of man that you wanted to be around. Unbelievers wanted to be around him and they didn't know why. Right. There was just like a moth to a flame. The love of Jesus bubbling out of him just attracted people to him. And I can remember even as a 17 year old young man thinking, oh, Lord, I want what he has. Like, Lord, that's who I want to be. I want to be someone where the love of Jesus bubbles out of me. And so he says, listen, let's pray for one another to grow in our love for Jesus. What a beautiful prayer. That we may grow in quantity, Lord. Like, um, have you ever seen The Grinch Who Stole Christmas? Some of you? Oh, get saved. You need to see it. The, the cartoon. And his heart just gets bigger and bigger at the end, right? And here's the idea. Like, Lord, I just, I just want my heart for Jesus to get bigger. Like, and, and, and I want the, the quality of my love to grow. 
Um, and so uh, we can pray like Paul that others will grow in their love for Jesus. Uh, we see a second thing that Paul uh, prays for, and it's this. Like Paul, I can pray for others to grow in their understanding of Jesus. I can pray for others to grow in their understanding of Jesus. He says this in the second part of verse 9. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In knowledge and depth of insight. So I want to pray for others to grow in their love for Jesus, but I want to pray for others to to grow in their understanding of who uh, Jesus is. This word knowledge, uh, it means to understand, recognize, and acknowledge. To understand, to recognize, and to acknowledge. And it's really important because, uh, again, our, our English translation probably lets us down just a wee bit. Because it's not just knowledge in the sense of head knowledge, right? The, 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 the Greek would talk about a head knowledge, but also an experiential knowledge. Let me tell you the difference. How many of you in here know who the Queen of England is? Raise your hand. Seriously? Right? Okay, great. Put your hand down. How many of you know the Queen of England? Raise your hand. Okay. That's the difference. The difference is knowing about and knowing relationally. This word here, in knowledge and depth of insight, it doesn't simply mean to know about Jesus, right? Um, the, The Bible says demons know who Jesus is and tremble, right? So it's not just about head knowledge, but it's about relational, right? And so, Lord, man, just help Dan grow in his love for you, Jesus, and then help him grow in his understanding of who you are. Like, help him experience you, to know about you, to know your word, but then to be changed. So it's to understand, to recognize, but then there's an acknowledgement. The acknowledgement is, listen, man, I want to grow in my understanding of this book, but, but again, uh, when, I, I, when I understand it, it's not just about my head, but it's about my heart. So I want to be able to say, listen, I understand it, but I want to acknowledge it and recognize it, that it is the truth. I understand who Jesus is, but I want to recognize that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. I understand who Jesus is, but I recognize that there is no other name given under heaven which man must be saved. And so it's... It's knowing in the head and the heart, a recognition, right? And, and so like Paul, I can show others I love them by praying that they'll grow in their love for Jesus. I can show others I love them by praying that they'll grow in their understanding of who Jesus is and by default, by the way, his word, because we can't know who Jesus is apart from this book. And so, Lord, just to help uh, help my brother and my sister grow in their love for you, their understanding of your word, and their recognition of you in their life. Uh, a third way that, uh, that Paul says that we uh, can pray for others, like Paul can pray for others to grow in their love for Jesus, to grow in their understanding of Jesus. But thirdly, I can pray for others to grow in spiritual discernment. I can pray for others to grow in spiritual discernment. Just working right through the verses. Uh, look what he continues to say in, uh, in verse 9. And I'll just piece it together. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, 
and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. So that you may approve what is excellent. Paul says, man, I, I love you guys. And like, I'm just praying that you'll, you'll love Jesus more and more. Paul says, I'm praying that you'll understand who he is and acknowledge who he is in your church and in your life. And Paul says, I'm praying that you will have spiritual discernment. Say, well, what is spiritual discernment? Um, this, is, uh, this is a definition. This is actually uh, from John MacArthur, if you know who he is, a Bible teacher. And John MacArthur says discernment is this, the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. The ability to think biblically. Spiritual discernment is the ability to decide between truth and error, right and wrong. The ability to think biblically. I saw a really powerful interview with John MacArthur um, recently. He's now 82 years old, and, and uh, they were just asking him, you know, as, as you've lived out the gospel now for most of your life, what do you see is the biggest challenge to the church today? What is the biggest threat to the church today? It was really interesting because in his opinion, it's just his opinion, but I agree with it. He said, I think the biggest challenge to the church today, the biggest trap, danger, is a lack of spiritual discernment. A lack of spiritual discernment is amazing. And, and, and uh, I, I, it's not a, a condemnation of the church in England because I've experienced it in America as well. It's amazing the churches I've been in and what I've heard people say from the pulpit. Uh, we were in a church here in England and uh, ha- sitting there as guest and the guy got up, the pastor was preaching and said, Jesus was not perfect. Jesus was not perfect. I'm, it's one of those times where you think, no, I misunderstood. I'm looking around the room, and everybody's just, you know. And so afterwards, I went up to him. I was like, oh, thank you. We're really glad. He was super friendly. I said, I, really, I, said, I think I misunderstood something you said, because I think I heard you say Jesus wasn't perfect. And he went, oh, no, you heard correctly. He wasn't. I've, I've been in other churches. I was, I was in a meeting with uh, pastors in this city. There were about 15 of us in a room a couple of years ago at the Salvation Army, and we were having a meeting together. Uh, to talk about doing gospel ministry together in city center. And, um, and someone asked the question about how will we interact with people of other faiths. And uh, the guy leading us said, well, the most important thing to remember is that there's only one God and all religions worship the same God. And I remember thinking, well, certainly I've misunderstood. And so uh, he said, does anyone have a question? I raised my hand. I said, yeah, I really apologize. I said, I think I misunderstood something you said. I think I heard you say that all religions worship the same God. And he said, no, that, that's right. That's true. And it entered into a, a pretty intense conversation. And uh, there were 15 of us in the room, all pastors in this city. And I was the only one who believed Jesus is the only way to heaven. I was the only one. The only one. We, we've got vicars who don't believe in the virgin birth. We've got, I mean, it, it, it just goes on and on. And, and here's the thing. Um, uh, most people just sit there and listen, right? And, and where is the discernment? It was very interesting because I saw this interview with John MacArthur before I did this sermon. And then I get here and like 2,000 years ago, you've got Paul saying, I'm praying for the church to have spiritual discernment. 
and praying for the church to have spiritual discernment. And so we want to pray for one another that we'll have the ability to choose between truth and error. We live in a world where information is instant, is it not? Information is instant. So growing up, there's a, there's a type of encyclopedia. I don't know if you ever had it here, Encyclopedia World Book, World Book Encyclopedia. Anybody old enough to remember those? They were just like really, so when I was growing up, those were like the super posh encyclopedias. Like the rich kids had those. Dumb kids like me didn't have anything, right? And, and so I remember even as a teenager thinking that was a goal in life. One day I'm going to have a set of World Book Encyclopedias, all right? And so this was about two, three years ago. I'm on eBay, and I come across a set of World Book Encyclopedias from 1991 for 50 pounds. And I'm like, sold. Because 1991, people were still speaking truth, Ben Jeffries, back then. I'm like, I can believe what the book says. And so um, I, I, I went and bought a special bookcase at the, uh, at the Hart Foundation, <laughs> um, uh, which was cheaper than the, the uh, encyclopedias. But I went and bought a bookcase to give it a place of honor, and so, which is in our garage. And so I put them on this bookcase in our garage, and I'm so proud. I'm so excited. And so I call Kayla and Max out, and I'm like, and they're just like a bunch of green books. I'm like, yeah, and they're like, what is it? And I'm like, it's an encyclopedia. And they're like, what does it do? I'm like, oh, so, so I, I say, well, just give me the first word that comes. And so Kayla is like, snake. I'm like, all right. So we'll pull the S out. And here, and you're going to turn and sit in. I'm, so, I'm almost like in tears. I'm so excited. Come here, young children. And I've got them around, and I show them. And I'm like, what do you think? I'll never forget, my son, Max Dubnett, went. So it was Google before there was Google. I'm like, get out of the garage. Like, it's, it's wasted on my family, right? So here's the thing. It used to be when you needed to know something, you had to go to a library. You had to have a book. Now, you can have instant information like that. But here's the problem with the culture we live in. There's information everywhere, but no wisdom to be found. There's information everywhere, but no wisdom to be found. And you can be the smartest person in the room and make the worst decisions. Are you with me? Spiritual discernment is not about knowing information, but it's about being able to take information and filter what is true and what is error. That is untruth. And it is a spiritual exercise. Lastly, Paul says this, I pray that you'll grow in your love for Jesus, your understanding of who Jesus is, a spiritual discernment. But lastly, he says, I pray that you'll grow in holiness and purity. I pray that you will grow in holiness and purity. Uh, This is what Paul says uh, in verses 10 and 11. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm praying that you'll love Jesus more and more. I'm praying that you'll understand who Jesus is. You'll understand his word. I'm praying that you'll have discernment, that you can tell what is truth and what is error. 
But then he says, lastly, I'm praying for you that morally, that you will be holy and pure. He uses the words pure and blameless. Blameless there means faultless without offense. Faultless without offense. That's who I want you to be. I want you to be pure and blameless. I want you to be people who love me. Uh, Peter says it this way. He's, uh, First Peter, Peter writes, be holy for God is holy. Now, here's the reality. This side of heaven, none of us will ever be perfect. We'll still think things that we shouldn't think or say things we shouldn't say or do things. Or it might be the reverse, as Paul says. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I, I know what I shouldn't do. And that's what I do, and I know what I should do, and I don't do it. That, that, that struggle will be with us until the Lord takes us to heaven. But, but what we know is this, that the journey, the path we're on is one of purity. And we want to make choices and decisions. Uh, the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. And so this is just... My conviction, this doesn't have to be your conviction necessarily, but um, after coming to the Lord at about the age of 17 or 18, um, I made a decision at 18 years old that I would not watch rated R movies. I just made that decision at 18. I'm 52 now. I don't watch them. There's been the occasional exception. I can name them. One is Saving Private Ryan. I can name one or two exceptions. But I'd imagine a movie about D-Day is probably not going to be you. But I've just made that choice because here's what I know. I know me. I know that this brain may not be the smartest in the room, but it remembers everything. And unlike my computer hard drive, I can't just hit a button and delete it. So what I see stays here. What I hear stays here. So I just decided that for me to be pure and blameless just means uh, I'm going to have to do that. And, and, and we've tried to pass that along to Kayla and Max. Like one day you're going to be on your own and, and you'll have to have your own convictions. But just know that those images and those things uh, that go in our mind, they, they stay stuck. And so we want to grow in holiness and purity. Not out of a sense of legalism, but just in Here's, here's the thing about holiness. It's a very interesting word in the Greek, and I want to make sure we understand it. The word holiness means to be set aside for use. To be set aside for use. So uh, let me give you a, an example. We were in America in, uh, in 2020. Uh, we were supposed to be there for six months. Because of COVID and other things, we were delayed, and our brief Six months turned into almost 10 months. We were away a long time. Imagine leaving your house today and not coming back for 10 months. So when we got back, um, uh, within about two or three nights, um, we decided that we would fire up the grill and we would do a barbecue. And my grill has not been used in, in now almost a year. And so I go, and when I take the cover off the grill, uh, there's uh, I lift the lid and it was like biological warfare inside. I mean, there was stuff growing I couldn't identify. I kid you not, some insect crawled out that made me jump. Like, it was just a mess. And here's the thing. Was it still a grill? 
absolutely, but it wasn't fit for purpose. So I went and bought some stuff, and I spent a whole day cleaning the grill and scrubbing and cleaning and degreasing and getting bugs out of it. And it, and it took me a whole day, but by that night, it was now uh, fit for purpose, Right? I'd set it aside because it wasn't fit for purpose. I had to do something to it, and now it was ready. That is literally not the grill, but, but that is the word holiness in the Bible. It means that none of us are fit for purpose to do anything. All the ministries we're praying into, none of us are fit for purpose to do them, right? None of us. And so what holiness means is God takes us, He sets us aside, he cleans us up, he changes us, he transforms us, and then we are fit for purpose to serve him. Does that make sense? That's the word holiness. And so Paul says, I pray that you'll love Jesus more and more. I pray that you'll understand Jesus and his word. I pray that you'll have discernment to know truth from error. Then Paul says, I pray that you will live your life in a way that, that God is able to, to change you and transform you, to make you fit for purpose, to serve him and to serve his church. And, and that is Paul's expression of love for the church at Philippi. So here's how I remember that. Here's how I remember that, because I've, I've used this before, right? Here's how I remember it. And so you might want to write this down. So uh, if you think of an acronym, I'm... I use acronyms a lot in my life to help me remember things. And so for this, I use the acronym LUSH. What I use, when I think of the word LUSH, if someone says, oh, they have a LUSH garden, what do you picture if I say they have a LUSH garden? Well, it's green, and it's healthy, and it's beautiful, and there's just flowers everywhere. It's a LUSH garden, right? And so that's the word. I, I um, I, I want my kids spiritually to be lush. I want them to be healthy and overflowing. I want you, my church family, I want you to be lush in the gospel, like growing and healthy and beautiful, right? And so that's how I remember this. L is love Jesus. U is understand Jesus. S, spiritual discernment. And H is holiness. That's just how I remember this. And so um It must have been Wednesday night. I woke up at four in the morning, just like like someone had come into the room and and just tapped me. And uh, uh, Christy and Kayla are in America right now. It's just me and Max. And so I'm in bed by myself. And four in the morning, I just wake up. And I just feel the Lord say, pray for Kayla. And no, it's four in the morning. I don't know what Kayla's doing, but I just clearly heard the Lord say, pray for Kayla, that's my daughter. And so I just laid in bed, and that's what I prayed. I said, Lord, would you, and would you just help my daughter love you like she's never loved you before? And Lord, I just pray for Kayla that you'll just like give her a heart for this book, and she'll understand it and be changed by it. And Lord, enable her to grow into a young woman who has spiritual discernment, who can discern who to date, who not to date, that she'll discern what movies to watch and what not. Like, just, Lord, do that for her. And then, Lord, I just pray she would be a young woman who is 
sure that she'd be a Proverbs 31 woman who is holy. And right around Proverbs 31, I fell back to sleep. Easy for me to remember. Lush. And so this was Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi. He loved them and he expressed it through prayer. By the way, when you read the other books, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, he'll always tell them how he prays for them. It's Paul's primary way of expressing love is through prayer. And so I, I, I just pray for all of us that we'll have a renewed passion to pray for one another, to pray for those around us, not born out of guilt, not born out of do better, but if anything, maybe sometimes you just don't know how to pray for someone. Often, particularly when we're in America and I speak at churches, someone will come up to me afterwards and say, hey, how, how can I pray for you and your family? This is what I'll tell them. Would you, would you pray that I'll love Jesus? Would you pray that I'll understand his word? Would you pray that I'll be wise? And, and would you pray that I'll be holy? It's the easy way to pray for one another. Um, yeah, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. Oh, what a privilege we have to bring one another before the throne of the King of Glory. Lord, I, I don't imagine I'll ever get an audience with the Queen. I, I don't imagine I'll ever get an audience with Prince William. Yet, Lord, we can have an audience with you, the sovereign King of all creation. We can bring one another into your presence. Lord, uh, just pray for Oikos Community Church. and Pray that like the church at Philippi, that we would be a group of people who love you, Jesus, more and more. That our love for you, Jesus, would just bubble out of us into the Erdington High Street. Jesus, we just pray that at Oikos Church, that we would be a group of people who just uh, don't uh, simply... Uh, yeah, we're not content with what we know, but Lord, we want to grow in our understanding of who you are and your word. We want to be people of the word. So Lord, would, would you do that in us? Jesus, would you help us here at Oikos Church, like the church at Philippi? Would we have spiritual discernment? Lord, we know we can't have discernment without knowing your word. And so Lord, help us in that. And oh, lastly, Lord, would you help us here at Oikos Church to be men and women who are blameless, men and women who seek to be holy, who seek to be set aside, Lord, to be made holy and fit for your purpose. Lord, we know you're not going to prostitute your spirit in dirty vessels. And so, Lord, might we be cleansed by you and committed to holiness that we might be used by you, Lord, for your glory and our good. Oh, Lord, would you do these things? that the name of Jesus would be lifted up in Erdington and Birmingham. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Kenny, so much for your word today, speaking to us.